Hello and welcome to the School Jotter podcast. In this week's episode, we've got a group of education consultants that will be reflecting on the pandemic and its effect on schools and education. Joining us on the show today, we've got Lawrence Contreras, Liam Johnson, Arthur Howie and Sharon Lewis, all of whom work closely with schools up and down the country. Let's kick off the discussion by reflecting on perhaps some of the small wins, some of the positives during the pandemic. The pandemic, of course, is largely associated with disruption, the discontinuation of education, economic hardship, health issues. But there are some small positives that can be taken uh, with the pandemic when it comes to family life, education and society at large. So perhaps we can reflect on some of the small positives I think one of the benefits definitely has been um, that we've all been forced together. So rather than me going to Leeds every day and, you know, the kids going to childminders or to school, um, we've all been under the same roof. And although that can be frustrating sometimes, I think overall uh, it's been really lovely. Um, The school that my kids are at has been quite good in terms of engaging with uh, us as parents. Uh, They've been using lots of e-learning tools. um, And I think one benefit is that actually... The sort of dialogue between the uh, between my son and his teacher, for example, you know, usually there's a lot going on that I would never see because uh, it's all during the school day. Whereas with e-learning technology, uh, we can see and there is a dialogue. You know, my son does a piece of work, uploads it, we get feedback from the teacher. So I think that's been a real benefit as well. So I think quite similar to Arthur, um, a big positive for me has been spending lots more time with my husband and at home. Um, Prior to the pandemic, I was probably traveling about two hours a day, getting to and from Leeds. Um, So now my commute is a few seconds rather than an hour. Um, And yeah, just, just lots more quality time with my husband and spending time around the house. So it's fair to argue it's been a transformational time for us all, but in particular um, for schools as well as as teachers have had to change um, the way that they teach uh, completely, moving away um, from a classroom environment uh, onto online or making use of learning management systems, um, most primarily due to the lockdown and uh, social distancing measures, which are still in place now. Many of schools in which have come forward and which I've spoken to about have seen great use from our Jota Learn um, tools and our Jota portfolio on the creativity front, keeping their pupils engaged uh, whilst they're working on home. And it's also been equally important to make sure that parents remain informed and engaged with our mobile app and Jota call tools, which provided useful as well. What differences have you spotted in approach between primary and secondary schools when it comes to the pandemic? I think with secondary schools, before the pandemic, uh, by and large, they only had some solution for e-learning. So that might have been a fully fledged VLE with courses, or it could have been something more basic and lightweight, you know, maybe targeted to do homework, something like this. So I think with secondary schools, they've kind of taken that run with it and it's been a continuation. Uh, and they've just sort of uh, pivoted to use it uh, more extensively. Whereas with primary schools, uh, I think because the the culture wasn't to all have a VLE, uh, they've been more uh, adaptive, uh, and I've seen schools where they've been trying many different e-learning resource platforms, VLEs, uh, and such, so they might have 
been setting kids work using maybe a dozen different platforms that are each tailored to individual use cases. When it comes to creativity and innovation, what have you seen that has stood out where teachers have overcome social distancing and still delivered innovative, high-quality education? I think the most innovative thing that I've seen is actually not on the academic performance side of things at all, but rather on the uh, social aspects for the children uh, and being part of that sort of local community. Um, One of the local schools around here has had an initiative that they've been pushing over Facebook. Um, And basically all the children of the school have been submitting miles. So if they go for a walk on the moors or walk the dog or something, uh, they put it together and then the school's been plotting this. Um, and the students at the school actually walked all the way to Mount Everest. Um, and I think that side of it is really important uh, in order to make these kids so that they can feel part of that community uh, and feel together, even though everyone's been socially isolated and distant. It's been a very similar picture from the secondary and primary schools that I've been speaking to. Secondary already had the technology in place, so are definitely just using it more widely than they were previously. Um, With the primary schools, they haven't had to use a VLE or any other kind of learning platform for quite a long time. So it's a bit of a learning curve for them getting these systems in place. So I think what I'm seeing is lots and lots are looking for something that's really easy for them to keep updated Um, really easy for them to get homework and things sent out to students and be able to see those responses that are coming into. We've had the first wave, there's likely to be a second wave. How can schools change their approach if there is a second wave? And what are the lessons that we can learn from, indeed, the first wave? I think that when the first wave came, uh, it was unprecedented and nobody knew what was going to happen. Nobody had any, uh, you know, former knowledge of how to operate this way. Um, and I think because of that, there's been a very fragmented approach between schools. Um, so some schools have really embraced uh, remote learning and e-technology, uh, and some that I, I think have fallen behind. Uh, I think part of the problem there is obviously the guidance from the DfE, um, which you know for the new term is going to be well is much more uh, comprehensive. Uh, and I think really for the second wave or any sort of re- local lockdowns that may happen i don't think there's any excuses now i think you know good quality learning needs to continue um so the main thing is for schools to make sure they have these tools and a plan there ready so that the learning continues whether that's in the inside the classroom or outside there's been lots of lessons learned it will not be the same uh, second time around the the dfe even have um guidance in place now um that schools must have certain things, um, the ability for people to, or pupils to learn from home and submit their work and for teachers to give feedback and for pupils to have access to videos, um, video learning resources. So you've got the Oak National Academy who are working with teachers frantically around the clock to create content for an entire year's worth um, of curriculum. So schools can match that now. And whenever, whatever point of the year, the second wave comes, they can just slot straight back into the curriculum uh, that they were in, straight back to the same point, and it's all done on video um, via Oak National Academy, which is being backed by the DfE. Um, so that's all all in place now, and there was nothing like that to begin with. I think during this pandemic, uh, what I have seen is a greater use for the website. Uh, if anything, 
um, for teachers has been the fundament for any learning activity um, in which I've seen many of uh, teachers upload videos, uh, be that of themselves teaching, uh, providing content um, to, to, the, to the pupils or maybe a sing-song or any fun activities just to, just to bring a bit of light, light, lighter-heartedness um, to learning in a time, of course, which is quite difficult. And what I really do like to see as well is like a, it's providing like a community spirit um, still. So uploading videos of pupils learning and uh, just putting a face to learning, essentially, in times, of course, in which isolation um, can occur with uh, lockdown happening and social distancing uh, in place, which is preventing um, that social contact. Now, in some households, you'll have children and parents each having their own laptop. And therefore, when it comes to accessibility to digital education, this is quite straightforward, providing the broadband connectivity is there. In other households, there is the digital divide, whereby perhaps there's one or two mobile phones, but only one computer for a large household. And this, of course, is then restrictive when it comes to digital access and the ability to have a level playing field. What more can the government do in schools to ensure that children aren't left behind and that we bridge this digital gap? I think it's a very, very difficult problem um, to address. Uh, in an ideal world, uh, it'd be nice if uh, the government could fund uh, laptops or iPads or something similar uh, to all learners so that everyone is on the same sort of level playing field. Uh, I think the reality there is that that wouldn't work. You know, there'd be some... Uh, situations where these devices very quickly went missing, um, which they're going to cause on lots of knock-on effects and uh, potential issues uh, for the child, sort of making things uh, worse rather than better. Uh, I think the only way to address it is to accept that there's always going to be, um, uh, you know, this, these differences. Um, and I think for schools to put together strategies where they can address learning for people who have the, these tools at home, and for people where they don't. Uh, and I think that sort of blended approach, making sure that kids who don't have access to the internet have at least access to physical resources uh, in place of that. It's a problem for, for many of the schools in the country, um, especially those in inner city areas or deprived towns. Um, you've got parents who were working cash in hand who now don't work and need to find work and have no income. And they're not able to even pay for the broadband anymore. So even if you could get the devices, um, getting them to work online is, in, is going to be another issue as well. Um, the only thing I can suggest is that the government create um, a subsidised pot that schools can use and give to to appropriate families who who qualify for requiring extra laptops or mobile devices. It will become a very huge separate issue, though, about the security of those devices and making sure that they aren't um, tampered with or lost or, or make sure that they are returned to the schools. Now, COVID-19 has spiked in the north. Have you spotted a difference between uh, the schools in the north and the south and their approach to the continuation of education? There's been different approaches for different schools, um, but not necessarily a north and south thing. Um, Leicester's approach is completely different because the demographic of their parents is uh, very unique compared to many other cities. Whereas um, the one thing I have noticed, and I have only seen it in southern schools so far, is this idea of um, bubbles and school bubbles. So school will have different entrances. So kids for certain classes will only go to that classroom and they will not ever cross paths with 
children from another class. And the same with the teachers. The teachers will not mix with other teachers or members of staff. They'll stick only to their classroom. So the school is almost divided into five, five uh, fifths or sixths or sevenths or eighths. And people stay just in those zones exclusively. Thank you for listening to these reflections on the pandemic and the effect on education. If you've enjoyed it, do share with others on social media and you can subscribe to the School Jotter podcast on all good podcasting platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. So thanks for listening to the podcast and we'll see you next time.